Before we begin our study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. And as we're getting ready to, to study, I want to let you know that Rabbi Yuri received his full ordination at the IAM CS Rabbis Conference. <laughs> Rabbi, Yuri, Rabbi Yuri has been a rabbi for 18 years. This is now his third ordination, but this is an international ordination from a prestigious organization that we are a part of, and it was such a joy to, to, uh, to pray over him with others from the International Alliance of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues to pray over him and to recognize his standing, not only in Jacksonville, not only in Ukraine, but his standing in the world. So uh, you can congratulate him at any time. And you can see some pictures on Facebook. We posted them. One of the themes in the Torah reading this week is the restoration of the Jewish people. And you have Joseph being restored to his brothers and Joseph restored to his father. And as well, you have the family being restored. And if you think about it, the, the future of Israel was in jeopardy because of the way they had treated Joseph. But God had turned everything upside down and turned it for good. Even the evil that was done with evil intentions was turned around and brought good fruit because God placed Joseph in Egypt in order to preserve and save the Egyptian people during a famine and to preserve and save the Jewish people during that same famine that was region-wide. God used Joseph. He used an unlikely circumstance, an unlikely situation to take a, a boy who was sold into slavery by his own brothers, and then to reposition him after years in prison and years as a slave to put him as the prime minister of Egypt and to be, in a sense, a spiritual leader because Pharaoh even recognized that the spirit of God was in Joseph in a unique way and in a greater measure than anyone who was of Egypt. So we see that God was working in his own secret ways to restore and to reconcile and to renew. Now, I want to focus tonight on the text from the Haftorah, which speaks also about restoration and a prophetic restoration that I think has importance and can be relevant to us and illustrative to us. So you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. That's what we want to look at tonight. And it's a passage that is filled with words about restoration and return, but I want to start in verse 24, Ezekiel 37, verse 24, where it says, David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And then it goes on. We'll look at the further verses in a minute. When it says, David, my servant, it is talking about that heir, that descendant of David, who is the anointed one, Mashiach. 
So it's actually speaking about Yeshua and declaring something, that Yeshua will be king over them. One of the titles of Messiah is Melech Mashiach, King Messiah. And this passage is in reference to King Messiah, and it's speaking about Yeshua. So the restoration that we're reading about is a restoration that's in Messiah where he is the king. And he is a king who is a shepherd. That's what's interesting. David learned how to take care of sheep and that prepared him to take care of people. And his position as king was possible because he was a good shepherd. He was a faithful shepherd. And in the same way, Moses had been a shepherd. He was raised in, as a prince of Egypt. If, if you ever saw the Disney movie, you know that. You don't even have to read the Bible to know that about Moses. However, it wasn't his place in the palace. It wasn't his place in the family of Pharaoh. It was those 40 years in Midian, taking care of sheep under the guidance of Jethro, Yethro, who was a priest who had some knowledge of the Most High God and was in some way serving God and created a spiritual home for Moses and for a place for him to establish his family. And so Moses learned to be a leader over Israel. How? By being a shepherd. So we learn something. These men, Moses, David, and others, Abraham, they were shepherds who became leaders. Why did God work in that way? Because he wanted them to be like the good shepherd that he is. They wanted, he wanted them to have the experience of taking care of people the way he takes care of people, to learn by taking care of sheep. So you and I are sheep, if we're doing well, if we're not, we're goats. If you are a goat with the Lord, I would encourage you, uh, you to deal with it. Don't ignore it. Uh, one of the ways you know you're a goat is if every time God says something, you say, yes, but. <laughs> if you give too many buts to the Lord, you're a, you're a goat. So find a way just to say a simple yes. Let's go to verse 25. They shall dwell in the land that I've given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there. And I want you to pay attention to this next phrase. They, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David will be their prince, their leader, forever. When we were at the rabbi's conference, Rabbi Yuri introduced a wonderful phrase in a message that he brought about bringing young people into ministry. He, he was telling other rabbis about the vision we have in our congregation, which is to have a blended community of all generations together. Our desire is to have young and old together, every generation. Young people serving together with older people, every age. And not just segregating the young people out and moving them out somewhere and not bothering with them 
as part of our living community, waiting for them just to grow up before we take them seriously. We want to take them seriously early on. I was so encouraged, I think many of you were, when we had those four young men who were dancing for us and worshiping the Lord in dance, and they were able to do that because Carol Cregan, right here, who uses checks, right? <laughs> Old school, has a heart for young people, right? And she gave a year of her life to working with those young men to prepare them so that they could dance. And, and also, out of that group will come dance leaders for the adult dance group, right? Javier has already started. So this is young and old together. Do you see how valuable that is? It's not just entertainment. We don't want to just take the kids somewhere and let them have fun. I mean, we do want them to have fun in life, but we want to take them seriously in the same way that God takes them seriously. And that's why I want to underline this phrase for you. You, your children, your children's children. Of course, it's using the third person. They, their children, their children's children. But I want you to be thinking about this. I want you to be thinking about our congregation, that, that we are called to be a community of all generations together, young and old serving the Lord together. And we don't want to say, oh, they're too young, and we don't want to say they're too old regarding the old people and the young people. We want to say every age is able to worship. Every age is able to serve the Lord. Every age can start having faithful life with God and live that life of faith. So this is a picture of a community. Restoration means the young and old are joined together. You see, Joseph, when he was separated from his father, um, that separation was like death. It was death for the family, it was death for the father. And when Joseph was restored to Jacob, Jacob felt like the rest of his life was good, that it had been uh, rescued and preserved and restored and renewed. Let's keep going. Verse 26, moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations, this is interesting, the other nations of the world will also know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. So the Lord promises to make a covenant with Israel, a covenant of peace, an everlasting covenant. That's a serious relationship. I've had people over the years tell me uh, when they're living together, they say, you know what, it's, it's like we're married. And you know what I always say to them? Actually, it's like you're not married. Because the difference between being married and living together is you're not married. That's the difference. And, the, and, and marriage is a covenant, right? And when people live together without marriage, what they're saying is at some moment I'm thinking I will be glad I don't have any covenant with you, any paper, 
any legal agreement, any commitment of that kind. So it's serious. Don't, don't ever let yourself be fooled. It's really simple. When people say they're, that living together is, is the same as marriage, it means that they're fooling themselves. That's it. Try to buy a car without paper. Try to buy a house without the paperwork. You can't do it, right? But you can substitute in relationship something lesser. But that's not what God wants to do. God's looking for a covenant, a covenant of peace. And so when you're making a covenant of marriage, you're saying, Lord, I want to include you in this marriage. This is not just me. This is you. And you're saying, I am ruling out the options here. I'm committing to being married and to making it work. In the same way, when you say to the Lord, I want to follow you, it's not enough to raise your hand at some big meeting and say, for the moment, I don't want to go to hell. And I heard a lot of talk about hell and I'm in favor of not going to hell. Everybody's in favor of not going to hell. But the Lord is looking for not a momentary response, but he's looking for a covenantal response where together you live your life. Not just for a moment, but on and on and on. And why does he feel that way? He's a father. Can you imagine giving birth to a child and naming that child and then walking out of the hospital never to see that child again because you just don't care? That wouldn't be right. That would not be a good father, right? A good father would want to be with, know that child to his very last breath. That's how God is. God wants to know you and he wants to be with you to the very end and he doesn't want it to stop then. He wants this life to prepare you for eternal life. I'll make a covenant of peace with them and it will be an everlasting covenant with them. I'll establish them and I will multiply them. Let me read you another translation. This is from uh, David Stern's translation, I believe, the complete Jewish Bible. And this passage, this part of the translation is based on the 1917 Jewish Publication Society translation of the Tanakh. It says, I'll make a covenant of peace with them, an everlasting covenant. I will give to them. It just separates that phrase, I will give to them. Isn't that a wonderful thought? The Lord will give. He'll give to them. He'll give gifts, spiritual gifts. He'll give health, he'll give forgiveness, he'll give well-being, he'll give relationships, he'll give everything that we need. I will give to them. I will increase their numbers and I will set my sanctuary among them forever. My home will be with them, I will be their God and they will be my people and the nations will know that I am Adonai who sets Israel apart as holy when my sanctuary is with them forever. So not only do we receive gifts, but the Lord promises growth for us, which means more and more over time. And part of the growth is 
individual growth. You and I have a promise from God that we can grow and we can grow up and we can, we can mature in him. We can develop character in him. That's one aspect. That's, that's at the individual level, but we can grow as a community as well. We can grow in relationship with each other and we can grow numerically as well. When you're talking about flocks increasing, there's a numerical increase as well. And that tells us something. God equips us so that we can bring good news to others who are outside the kingdom. And they can hear the good news and come into the kingdom. How many of you had in your life someone who cared enough about you to tell the gospel of Messiah to you before you were a believer? How many of you had that? So someone actually was instrumental in your life. And do you know the name? Do you still know the name of that person? I do, Pat Pritchard. First person to tell me the good news. I heard the bad news from a lot of people. I grew up in uh, the anti-Semitic South at the time. And the bad news went something like this. You're a Jew, you killed Christ, you're going to hell. Uh, I heard that from a lot of folks. And that never provoked me to jealousy, it just provoked me. It never helped me. But one man told me the good news. So sometimes when people ask me, how did you become a believer? I say this, someone told me the good news and I believed it. The first person who told me the good news, I believed. And they say, it couldn't be that easy. I say, it wasn't, but it was. One person dared to share the gospel with me in a way that was appropriate for me as a Jew. And he told me about the faithfulness of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant-keeping God who loved the Jewish people and was watching for the Jewish people and protecting the Jewish people and, and still alive for the Jewish people. And he told me so powerfully and so effectively, I couldn't believe it. And I was a journalist and I, I thought I could ask him a question that would reveal he was a professional missionary or something. I said, everything you're saying sounds so good, how do you know what to say? And he said, the Holy Spirit is telling me. I wasn't prepared for that answer. And like the guys in Ephesus, I said, what's the Holy Spirit? And so he started in Genesis about the Holy Spirit of God who was present at creation. It was incredible. It changed my life. So growth will come to us as you and I share the good news with people who are outside the kingdom. And as we learn to do it in a way that's effective. And that will require obedience to the Lord. It will require knowing Yeshua, who he is, and being able to describe him accurately according to the Bible and to be able to respond to people in their times of need. So growth. So then there's another statement here. God will establish his sanctuary, his holy place among us. And I think that's a powerful promise. God wants to have a sanctuary on the earth. He wants a house, not a physical temple as in the days of old, but another kind of temple. But he's looking for a house for himself. And he promises that he will be with us. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And then I love this part. The nations will know that I am Adonai. This shows us something that God is not exclusive about the Jewish people. He's actually interested in the whole world. 
This is very important, that the call of the Jewish people is a call to be faithful as Jews to the God of Israel, who is the God of the whole world, and to bring the good news to the whole world. And we do this best, not by assimilating out of our Jewishness, but by being Jews who, who are a faithful remnant and a visible remnant as we follow Messiah Yeshua. We will have more impact when we do it that way. How do I know that? By looking at the New Testament record. The Jews of the New Testament did not assimilate. They remained Jews. They kept Shabbat. They kept celebrating Shabbat. They celebrated Pesach. For goodness sakes, they celebrated Hanukkah with Yeshua. Shavuot. And on and on and on. So we will have a worldwide impact on the nations of the world when we, when we are restored and we are renewed. Now I want to turn to a verse in Peter, 1 Peter 2.5. It's important to know that, that Peter was an apostle to the Jews. Paul was apostle to the Gentiles. They were not exclusive. Peter, in fact, was the one who first went to Gentiles and proclaimed Messiah Yeshua in the way of salvation. During his nice little message, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Peter wasn't finished, but the Lord said, I'll take it from here. And he had an impact on Gentiles, even though he was an apostle to the Jews. In the same way, Paul had an impact on Jews, even though he was an apostle to the Gentiles. But Peter, writing to Jews in the diaspora, said, you yourselves are like living stones. Living stones. Isn't that a, a, a strange dichotomy? Because stones are not alive, are they? There are no stones, as far as I know, that are alive. And yet you're living stones. So he's saying you're a component that is structural, but it's alive. And you need to see yourself as a stone in a temple. It says, you are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. You're being built together. So look around the room and just think of the people who you're seeing and, and realize they're stones. But they're not like, it's not that they have rocks in their head. It's not that they're stone-hearted. It's they're rock solid in Messiah. That's what we're called to be. But we're not called to be fragmented. We're not left in the quarry somewhere. We're not abandoned. We're not disconnected. We're being built together. This is very important. It connects to what Rabbi Yeri was sharing when we were celebrating Serdat uh, HaMashiach, that we're being built together. We're part of the body of Messiah. We have to recognize that. And that's why when you come together in one place, the house of God, to celebrate the meal of Messiah. Not just off by yourself, because when you're just off by yourself, when you're only off by yourself, you're not being built together into a spiritual house. You're just a rock out there, doing the best you can. But you become alive, you become a living stone when you are joined together and built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Yeshua the Messiah. So our priestly ministry, which is to Israel and to the whole world, 
can only be accomplished when we're joined together and we form a spiritual house, not a club, not some kind of just scheduled activity, but we're called to be a spiritual house. And it's important to understand this because when you see yourself in this picture as a, as a living stone and you understand we form the walls, we form the, the roof of this structure. And when we're together, serving the Lord together, worshiping together, the Spirit of God is in our midst inside all of us together. Do you see that picture? Because there's another picture, which is the Spirit of God in you. And that picture is also important. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? But in the English, it's important to pay attention to the number, you yourselves. The number is plural. Do you see that? You together are God's temple. Now, it's true that God wants to put his spirit in us. He wants each one of us to be immersed in his Holy Spirit. He wants the Holy Spirit to live inside of each one of us. That's true. That's what transforms us into living stones that can be joined together. Without the Spirit of God, we're just stones being joined together. But with the Spirit of God, we become alive. And then we can be joined together in service to God, and we can be powerful on the face of the earth when we are present together like that. And that's why it's so important to see, to discern, to recognize the body of Messiah, and to overcome that kind of independent excess where we're just living on our own for God. Because when you live on your own for God, you are not part of the priesthood. You're just a rock out there. And you will never accomplish all that God has for you. You're like the eye with no body. And I can tell you, an eye without a body cannot see anything. Because it takes the rest of the body providing life and the brain and the interpretation of light through the brain and all that to see anything. Just having an eyeball is not enough. If you're just a nose, you won't smell anything. You have the capacity to be an orifice, but you won't actually be functional. And so Paul, you know, draws this humorous picture it reminds me, I, I can't remember the, the name, but we used to have these toys, Mr. Potato Head, I think. It's coming back. Right? Am I right? How many of you remember Mr. Potato Head? Or it, it, I had a plastic version too later on, you know, because the parents got tired of cleaning up potato juice. But you got a potato and, and it had a nose and you could stick the nose, you know, where it goes. Or if you were creative, you could stick the nose where it doesn't go. And we used to amuse ourselves by making weird creations. And Paul, in a sense, is, is saying, it's not Mr. Potato Head with all these broken pieces you put anywhere or nowhere. It's the body of Messiah. He's the head. 
and all of us are joined, we being many are one body in him. The first generation of believers who followed Yeshua made a ruckus. And they were described by one person this way. They're turning the world upside down. You can too. We can too. As for me, I'm in favor of it. I think it would help. And so if you want to be involved in turning the world upside down for good, for God, and you want to do it in a stronger way, have more discernment of the body and see how the restoration of Israel gives us a picture. All the generations together, not just one generation, all of us together. Don't you know this world is desperately looking for that? We can do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us history and prophecy regarding restoration. Thank you for showing us what new life is in Messiah Yeshua and then giving us new life. And Lord, we pray for ourselves that we would be joined together in ways that we haven't in the past and that we would be living stones built into a spiritual house in a stronger and stronger way. We pray, Lord, for the increase of your kingdom. We pray, Lord, for those who we know and love who desperately need good news from you, who need that gift of repentance that leads to life. We pray for people who are on the edge that they would turn to you and begin to live a new life in you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your favor and your mercy and your goodness. New every morning, Lord, great is your faithfulness. In Messiah Yeshua we pray. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. If you are standing alone, I want to invite you to move. <laughs> Stand with someone. Get, get some practice standing together. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yuchenecha yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you and even heal you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom and happy new year.